kind of just set up, if you weren't here, we basically just set up the book saying, this is a book we're not, when you think about the book of Revelation, if you grew up in the church, you kind of often think of it as maybe a book that is very confusing, that could be very like scary or creepy at times. We, we compared it to basically if it was a character from The Office, it would be Creed, because it's basically all of those things, confusing, creepy, sometimes scary. And that's not what the book is about. Uh, the book really, it starts by saying it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do all semester is really look at how the book of Revelation reveals Jesus and his story to us in, in a really powerful and beautiful way. And so tonight to do that, we're going to look at uh, the last part of Revelation 1 and um, verses 9 to 20. It's in your handout if you have it. And this is the vision. Uh, this is how the book starts. It's a vision of Jesus that John actually has on this island of Patmos. We're going to talk about that in a second. So here's what John writes. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive in to this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you, you love us so much that you've not left us in the void, that you've not left us in the dark, that you've not left us in isolation, that you've not left us to ourselves. But you have, through your word, revealed yourself to us, especially in and through your son Jesus, the fullness of your glory and the fullness of your grace. And so, Lord, I pray tonight as we open your word, would you show us Jesus? Father, that is, whether we know it or not, our greatest need. There, there are a lot of things that we feel like we need and that we think we need. And Lord, would you show us what we truly need, which is to have an ever clearer and, and ever growing love for Jesus. So Father, would you be so pleased to give us that tonight? We pray these things uh, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So that's what we talked a little bit about last week, what I just prayed, that, that basically, uh, the, you know, the thing that John and the churches need most right now, we could have said there are a lot of things. Like, I'm sure part of their prayers were, Lord, please stop this persecution. 
Lord, please, would you just, for John, in John's case, would you just rescue me from this, you know, being imprisoned in this island, Patmos? But the thing that Jesus gives John, and the, therefore the churches, is a clearer, more beautiful, more compelling vision of himself. And remember we said last week, kind of ended last week, saying that's what you and I need. We need a lot of things, but our greatest need is to see Jesus more clearly. Our greatest need is for Jesus to become, in the words of one of my friends, bigger and better to us, more, more beautiful and more believable to us. And this means, if that's true, that means our greatest need is that we don't see clearly. Like part of what the book of Revelation is doing and is inviting us into is seeing the reality that really is behind reality. It's like unzipping a bag to show what reality is. It's like the pulling back of a curtain to show Jesus as he is now and his plan for his church and his plan for the kingdom. And that's what you and I need. But the problem is you and I can't see it. You and I have a hard time staying focused. You and I have a hard time keeping our eyes fixed upon the truer and greater reality. And I was thinking about this. uh, (laughs) Bear with me. This is going to be a weird illustration. This is what I was thinking of. So uh, we all know parents and technology just don't really mix, right? We kind of know, like, especially as you get my age, as my mom and dad get older, they just don't navigate uh, technology very well. So this really came home to me. This is honestly probably over the summer. My mom came over. She's got all the technology. She's got an iPhone. And she's got a Venmo account. And she came to my, we were talking in the, in the living room, and just like in a moment of almost panic, she says, Sammy, we, I'm going to call him Tony, it's a family friend, he's like, have you seen Tony's Venmo? And I was like, no, haven't been following it. She's like, you have to look at it, I'm really concerned for Tony. And I was like, okay. So she pulls it up, I look at one of Tony's transactions, he's paid a friend, and the line in this Venmo transaction simply said, butt stuff. <laughs> And so, I, so my mom is like, Tony is in some deep, dark sexual sin. And I was like, I started laughing. I was like, Mom, that's Venmo kind of works that way. Like, you kind of say ridiculous things. I was like, it's not something to worry about. And I think about that because she, she is not, like, she's not seeing things as they are, right? In that one moment, it's a silly way to say it, but she's not seeing things how they work, how they are. In a greater way, in a much different greater way, that's our problem. Is we don't see Jesus in Revelation is trying to show us how things really work, like the the, the reality behind what you can you and I can see with our eyes. And when it when when we see it, when we see Jesus and what He's up to now, His mission, His people, His kingdom, and when we know, see ourselves as part of that, it really does reframe everything for us. This is part of what I was trying to say last week. Let me say it this way. So that it reframes, so what it does is it doesn't take away the pain of the breakup you just went through, but it reframes it to say, the king of all kings, the ruler of the universe, is also, not only does he love you, but he's in control of your love life. And it reframes the breakup. Or we can say, Jesus, seeing Jesus as he clearly is right now, doesn't take away the pain of cancer. I've, had, I've lost people that I'm family members and people I'm really close to cancer. It doesn't take away the pain of that. But it reframes it to say there's a day coming where we are going to be bodily with Jesus and every tear wiped away and our bodies restored to an even greater glory than we can imagine. And we're going to dance and fellowship and feast and laugh with Jesus for eternity. It reframes it. Or you can think about it like this. It, you know, it doesn't take away the pain of your loneliness. But to see Jesus as he is right now, the ascended, reigning, risen Jesus as he is, 
it, 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 you have the sense of, even in your darkest places, maybe even especially in your darkest places, he is always with you. And it reframes your loneliness. So this is what we need tonight. The way I want to do it is I'm taking from my friend Matt Howell, because I love the way he said it. Just two things that I think the vision that Jesus gives John is doing for John, is, and I hope it's going to do for us, is basically showing us why Jesus is bigger than we think he is, and then second is showing us why Jesus is better than we think he is. This is the thing you and I need tonight, that how, how, to see that Jesus is bigger than you and I think he is right now, and that Jesus is better than you and I think he is right now. So it's first, why Jesus is bigger than you think he is. A little bit of context. We talked about it a little bit last week. But just to know the situation, 67 AD, if we could go back in time, uh, Christians are, are living under the reign of Nero. And he was one of the first Roman emperors who just started. He hated Christians. He really, literally, there were stories out of Nero's. The persecution was so bad that he would, he would have these parties and he would light Christians as the, as the, you know, like the torches to light his parties. It was really bad persecution. And the church is going through this. And then this guy in 81 AD, Domitian, come, Domitian, however you say it, comes in the scene, and the persecution gets worse. And he starts, he not only is kind of uh, killing Christians, trying to do away with Christians, but he also has made this decree, I said this last week, he's made this decree that every Roman citizen, regardless of their religious belief, he wanted them to bow the knee to him and call him their Lord and their God. You can imagine this was a real struggle for Christians. And John got to a point where he could not do that. Jesus is Lord and God. I can't say that you are and say this is why John is in Patmos. And I just want you to appreciate for a second that you and I, like, I can't sleep at night if I know someone doesn't like me, right? I can't imagine what it would feel like if I came out as a Christian and literally my life was in jeopardy that I might be killed at worst or imprisoned at best. And this is a situation that John's brothers and sisters and John himself find themselves on. Not only is it's not not only not cool to be a Christian, but literally it, your life is at stake to be a Christian. So here's John. He's on Patmos. This is why he's on Patmos. He's praying on the Lord's day, maybe working through scripture, and he's in the spirit, and then he hears this voice behind him. Now, we can make a point to say, you know, what does it mean to be full of the spirit? It means to see Jesus more clearly. Because John hears this voice like a trumpet. He turns around, and then he has this vision. And the vision is pretty crazy. And I want you to see the first thing, that really the, the biggest thing you need to understand to understand Revelation 1 is it's not like if, like if John had had a, a, his, his trusty Canon or Nikon like on him at, at Patmos and taken a picture, like this would not literally be what Jesus looked like. Like John is an artist in some ways, and he is using images to convey what it was like to see and feel and be in the presence of Jesus. But please understand that he's not giving like this, like we're not going to get to heaven. This is what Jesus looks like. But he's trying to convey the experience he had in the presence of Jesus. And he pulls all of these beautiful, powerful images. So let's look at them one by one and we'll work our way through them pretty quickly. So first, he's wearing a long robe with a golden sash, but the sash isn't around his waist. It's around his chest. What does that mean? Well, it means three things. Number one, this was a priestly robe, and it's saying that Jesus is our great high priest. Number two, it's a kingly robe. It's like the robe that, if you remember 1 Samuel, that Jonathan would wear in 1 Samuel 18. It represents his, his royal, you know, that he is a royal kingly figure. And I think the most fascinating thing is, why is the sash around his chest? Well, basically, one commentator I was reading was saying, when you wore a sash around your waist, it meant you were about to go to work. But when you wore a sash around your chest, it meant you, the work was done and you were resting in your accomplishments. 
It's like if you're a military person, it's like the stars. You know, if you've ever met or seen a general, he's got the stars on his, the top of his jacket. What does it mean? It means these are his accomplishments. And so here's Jesus. He is our high priest, and he is also the king, and he is the one who has already said the work that needed to be done to accomplish your forgiveness and my forgiveness is done. It is finished. Two, the hairs of his head were white like wool or like snow. What, what does that mean? This is an image that communicates wisdom. It, it communicates that Jesus is full of wisdom. I was thinking about it like this. So I guess two years ago now, we went, my wife's grandmother is 103. And so we went, so it must have been three years ago now, we went for her 100th birthday right outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and just spent the day, we spent the weekend kind of celebrating the fact that she had made it to 100, which... God bless her. I never want to make it that far in life because, I mean, she's literally watched more people die than you and I can imagine. And so we're riding around town and we're just, I love when my kids and I get to be around her because here is a woman who literally was born during World War I and she's seen some things and she might kind of know some things that, that I don't know, that my kids certainly don't know. And, and she's just full of wisdom. Just partly because she's that old. Now, we, we know that age doesn't equal wisdom. But part of what John is trying to communicate is that Jesus is full of wisdom. He literally is, one of his names in Scripture is the Ancient of Days. He's been around a while, kind of since the beginning, and he kind of knows some things. And he's kind of worth seeking. And in fact, he, at this very moment, knows exactly what he's doing in your life. Three, his eyes were like a flame of fire. This means that Jesus doesn't just see us, but he sees through us. Jesus, in fact, Scripture says, can see through. He can see through our actions. He can see through our idols. He can see through our motivations to our very heart, what makes us tick, what makes us work. And the thing that fascinates me about Jesus is he's the only person, like I'm a cynical person, and I'm not proud of that. Like I really do sometimes believe in my pride that I can see things as they really are. Like, I can see how things really work. And when I'm in a moment of humility, like, you know, bowed before, humble before Jesus, the only one who can really see through everything, the only one who can really see things as they really are, and yet he's not one ounce cynical, right? He, his eyes are a flame of fire. Then it gets weirder. John's keep, you know, he's looking, you can tell top down. Then he looks at his feet. And it says his feet were like burnished bronze. Now, to understand this, the whole, this whole picture, Jesus starts this by saying he's the son of man, which is literally Jesus' favorite phrase for himself. It's taken from the book of Daniel. And it's a phrase that doesn't just mean, sometimes uh, we think it means he's, in, he's literally a, a human, that he is born of a man and of a woman like we are. But in Daniel, it meant something bigger. It meant that he is the king of kings and the ruler of all rulers. And this is actually an allusion to Daniel 2, where if you remember Daniel, Daniel's, he's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he, he describes this statue that is, has its feet have a mix of clay and iron. And, and the point of it is that it's going to fall. And the whole point of what Daniel's saying to Nebuchadnezzar is, Jesus is the king of kings, and there are going to be all kinds of rulers and kingdoms that rise up, but they're all going to fall except for one kingdom and except for one king. And that's King Jesus. His reign is going to last forever. But what's beautiful to me about that is it says they're refined in a furnace, which takes us back to the book of Isaiah that says they, are, they know suffering. And so Jesus is the only king who's going to, his reign is going to last forever. But he's also a king who got there through suffering 
And he's a king who knows how to govern suffering people like you and me. And then we get to his voice. John says his voice was like the roar of many waters. Uh, this past summer, we, we, we try to do these road trips with our kids. And so we've done California. We've done Maine. And this last summer, we were like, we're going to try for Canada. Um, and so part of in the Canada trip, we decided to do Niagara Falls. My wife had done it before when she was a kid. But we were like, why not? It's a, you know, it's a little bit touristy, but it's touristy for a reason. And, man, I'm really glad we did it. Because when you drive, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know this. When you're driving even near it, you can hear the falls from, like, a mile away. Like, they're so huge and powerful, you can just hear them. Then you park your car and you walk to them. And it's like the sound is so deafening that not only do you hear it, but you feel it. And part of it's like the mist is like splashing your face. But it's this powerful, powerful experience. And John is saying that's what Jesus' voice sounded like. That you not only heard it, but you felt it in your bones. There's this deep beauty and power in the voice of Jesus. And think, what is it going to be like when he says our name for the first time? Let's keep moving. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And I love this because when I was a kid, we, you know, I knew this. We, we, sang, we sang the song from BBS. He has the whole world in his hands. And John is saying, yes, and more. He holds the whole universe, even the angels, in his hand. He's not just the Savior who died for our sins. He's the creator who literally upholds the entire cosmos. He is absolutely in control. And then it gets weird, right? I mean, it's it's already weird. Let's just embrace. We're going to have to embrace Revelation. It's only going to get weirder. So if you're into that, this is your semester. If you're not into that, you're going to have to just like brace yourself. There's a a sword, a two-edged sword coming from his mouth. What's fascinating is we know the author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, John is saying Jesus's word has the ability to pierce us in order to expose us and to heal us. And this is what he's doing. And John is writing it down. And then lastly, his face is like the sun shining at full strength. I love this because this is, if you think about Moses, when he met God in Exodus, he comes back and remember the people are like, Moses, did you go to the beach? Like what's happening with your face? And his face had been exposed to the glory of God and it was burning bright. Or if you know the ironic benedict or the ironic blessing from Numbers, right? We say this sometimes if you're in Presbyterian circles, that goes like this the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And John is saying, This is <laughs> his face was shining on me. I think this is interesting because I think some of us think the face of Jesus is like a dark cloud over us. That we think he's constantly frowning over us. And John's saying, oh no. His face is shining as bright as the sun at its brightest over you and me. Now here's, okay, that's a crazy vision. Here's, what's the point? Here's the point. How do you respond to it? Well, let's look at how John responds. He didn't go to like high five Jesus, right? He sees this vision. He's like, Jesus, my man, what's up? It's not what he does. Nor does he go to like hug him or side hug him. But in my case... Nor does he like break out into oceans, you know? It's not what he does. What he does is he falls as though dead at his feet. And this is what I want you to see. This is the first kind of application tonight is, how do you know you've met the real Jesus? Like, how do you know you really have a relationship with Jesus? You've experienced something like this. 
where you've come through the glory and the power and the holiness of Jesus a little bit in touch with what a failure you are, with how flawed you are, with how sinful you are, with all your flaws and faults and failures. And I think what you and I typically do, our typical mode of existence, is we, because we don't often have that horizontal move, we, or that vertical move, we go horizontal. And the way that I comfort myself, most often, most of the time, is I, make my, I compare myself to everyone around me. And the way that we do it is like this. Like, we, we make ourselves feel better. We think, I'm cooler than him, or I'm thinner than her, or like, my SAT score is clearly better than his. Or, like, I take my Christianity way more seriously than they do. Or, you know, I don't do the drinking thing like they do. Or, we could keep going. My taste in movies is better than theirs. Uh, in my case, yeah, it is. Um, that's, that's not funny. That didn't land. Sorry, guys. Um, or, I get it more than them. And we, we do this when we make ourselves feel better. And I was thinking about it like this uh, a few years ago. Uh, so I only played one sport growing up. It was basketball. And I was not very good, but I was good enough to make my little small uh, private school team and good enough to, like, play a little pickup here and there. So some guys had invited me to play pickup at First Pres, which some of you guys go there in the summer. And uh, I'd gone to this game, and I hadn't played in a while. It was pretty rusty. But, man, I had a great game. Like, I just felt like I was playing against mainly competition that was at my level or below. And I just felt like I really, I mean, I think a double-double was probably, like, I didn't keep, I didn't count, but, like, I had, I crushed it. I had a really, really good game. The next week, uh, some college guys showed up, some, like, literal uh, guys that played on college teams showed up. And I got blocked probably 20 times. Like, I ended up truly <laughs> I left. I, like, threw something down and left in frustration in the middle of the game because I just got completely exposed. Because clearly, I'm not as good as I thought I was, right? And I think this is the way that John is feeling in this moment. Like, when he comes into the presence of Jesus, this is the thought he has, why he falls down dead at his feet, that I'm not as good as I think I am. I, I, that when, I, when it comes to being compared to Jesus, that literally, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer. That even my best stuff has a, a layer of selfishness to it. A layer of pride, a layer of greed, a layer of lust. Uh, I love the way that one pastor says it. He says, if you want to understand, we're doing this uh, Bible study on Reformed theology. He said, if you want to understand Reformed theology in a nutshell, it's this. You suck, and Jesus doesn't. You suck, and Jesus doesn't. And I love this. I love this idea that that if we're going to ever be humble before Jesus, we have to see how big he is. We have to see how great he is. But that's not where he leaves John. So first, why Jesus is bigger than we think. But second, and lastly, why Jesus is better than we think he is. And I I love this scene because Jesus, he doesn't leave John lying on the ground. He literally goes to John and he picks him up and he lays his right hand on his shoulder. And what does he say? He doesn't say, John, quit being such a wimp, quit being such a baby, get your stuff together. He doesn't say, what's your name again? Um... I didn't quite. I don't. I think I remember you from my life on earth, but can't quite. It's not what he says. He says, "Fear not, John. Fear not." What's he doing? He's reminding John of not just who he is, but who he is toward John. He's reminding John that yes, he is all of these things. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the Ancient of Days. He is, you know, the prophet, priest, and king. He is all of these things and more. And 
He is John's friend. And he is the one who was always with John. And he is the one who was always for John. What's fascinating is the one part of the image we didn't talk about is where, if you, if you caught it, Jesus, there are these seven lampstands that Jesus says represent the churches. And did you catch where Jesus is positioned? He's in the middle of them. And he's communicating, John, write this down. These, my people are undergoing something that is so painful and so hard. Where am I? Right with you. Right there in your suffering and in your darkness. Um, I was thinking about like this. I, I, uh, I'm a huge college football fan. And Mike Gundy has become Oklahoma State coach. He's become one of my favorite coaches. And not just because he's got this incredible, if you've ever seen him in a sports center, he's got the best mullet that I've ever seen, like 80s included. It's just incredible. I think it's ironic. I hope it's not ironic because that makes it even better. But the way he came into my radar was in 2009, I believe it was, he had this moment with the press. Some of you guys have seen it. You can find it on YouTube. Where basically what happened was he, had, he was playing two quarterbacks, and he had ended up benching this one guy. I think he was a freshman, maybe a sophomore, young guy. And the press had written this story saying the reason Mike Gundy benched this player was because he's too soft. He's a mama's boy. His mom coddles him all the time, and that's why Mike Gundy benched him. Well, Mike Gundy, somebody handed Mike Gundy this article right before the press conference, and they said, people who were there said, he almost ripped the doors off the press conference, walked up to the podium, and just started yelling. And he said, I mean, the famous line was, he said, don't you come after him. What is he? He's a student. He goes to class. Don't you dare talk about him. You come at me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm a man. I'm 40. It's, ama- it's amazing. You've never seen it. It's just the best press conference of all time. And I was watching, as that happened, I was watching Kirk Herbstreet, a college football analyst for ESPN afterwards, was talking about it. And he said, they were asking him, what did you think of it? And he, I remember, I'll never forget, he said, well, two things. If I'm a media person, I'm scared to death and probably don't like Mike Gundy. But he's like, if I'm one of his players, I can't wait to step in that football field next week. Why? Because I know he has my back. I know he's for me. I want you to see that part of what Jesus is doing is he is saying to John, do you remember who I am? I'm going to show you. And do you remember that not even the gates of hell themselves can come at you unless they go through me? I love this picture of Jesus' right hand because if you think about it, if we could have gotten an up-close shot of his hand, we know from John's gospel his hand would have had a scar in it. And we know that that hand, 50 years before this, was literally a nail that was big enough and thick enough to keep that hand flush to a wooden cross was nailed through that hand. I'll never forget when I was just out of college and my life had not gone, let's just put it mildly, my life had not gone the way that I thought it was going to. Like college was, if I could hit the reset button, I would have done it probably three times. But I remember uh, this man who was, just loved me, he was like a mentor in the Lord, he would always say to me, Sammy, I want you to understand that God is so sovereign over your life that nothing can come into it that doesn't first pass through nail-pierced hands. And I think part of what John is doing is he's showing us both of those things. He's saying, do you see the, great, the, the greatness of Jesus? If you don't see that, you'll never be humbled or see yourself as a sinner. But at the same very time, have you been picked up by Jesus and embraced and shown that there is so much grace in him, that he is not going anywhere, that his love for you is forever kind of love, that, can, that never wanes, that never weakens, that is always constant and this is what we need to see tonight i'll close with this uh 
speaking of movies, uh, um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see The Shape of Water yet. It is a really weird movie for a lot of reasons. If you see it, let's please grab coffee and talk about it. I've seen it a couple times now just to try to process the weirdness of the film. And I would love fellow processing partners. But there's this uh, poem at the end of the movie that I think conveys a little bit what John's trying to convey to us tonight. And it's just a few lines. You have it on your handout. It says, the poem goes, Unable to perceive the shape of you, I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere. And what I want you to see is that John is inviting us to see the shape of Jesus. And the question for you and for me is, do you see him all around? Does his love fill your eyes? Does it, has it humbled your heart? Because John is saying that's what it's like to be in the presence of the real Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit and through your church, uh, bring us near to you. Lord, we know that there are places in our lives where you are near and we don't see it and we don't feel it. And would you forgive us for being a people that are so driven by our senses But Lord, would you, in a a way that through your spirit and your church only you can do, would you give us a yet greater and clearer and more beautiful vision of yourself? Would you show us tonight that that you are not maybe what we thought you were and that you are both bigger and better? And Lord, I pray that you would work in us as you work through your word. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. We all stand and sing with us our last hymn. All must be... Thank you.